Welcome to the Vintage Church Podcast. Through this podcast, we hope to challenge and equip you to take your next step in your relationship with Jesus and in living and loving like Him. Living in community becomes increasingly difficult as we find more ways to draw lines and build walls between people and even struggle to find peace within our own lives. God has called us to be unified in Christ and to exist peacefully with those around us. Let's listen to God's voice and learn what it takes to be peacemakers. All right, church. You ready to hear the word? Come on, let me hear somebody out there. Amen. Come on. Well, uh, next week, you'll have to tolerate me. Once again, I will be back. But once again tonight, I'm going to jump off the platform. Y'all don't want to hear this for the next 35 minutes. But as we prepared for this series, I began to just pray that God would just give us some direction. And I felt like God put specifically the, the message you heard last week and the message you're going to hear, to hear tonight. I feel like God led me to ask some other pastors in our church to speak. And how about the word that Jasmine brought last weekend? Oh, man, so good. Well, tonight, um, I'm going to step off the platform, and you're going to hear a word from our executive pastor, Lyle Denton. And Lyle is one of those guys that as a lead pastor, you just dream about. Because um, if Lyle's not here, this whole church falls apart. Because the things that he does behind the scenes to keep this thing moving and working, um, I think I can preach a little bit, but that's all I got. I'm a one-trick pony, okay? Um, But Lyle brings an element of leadership to our church that just fills in my gaps. And he believed in me and this church when nobody should have. When there was me and I'm pretty sure my wife was going to be involved and my family, my parents. Other than that, like that was it. And he called and he moved up here and he got a job for three years so that he could serve this church just as a volunteer. And tonight he's going to bring a word to you that I could never bring. Because he brings it from a position of experience that I can't relate to. But I think many people in the room can And so I'm excited for you to hear the word that God has on his heart and hear some of his story. So will you show him some love? Welcome my friend, our executive pastor, Lyle Denton, to the platform tonight. Good evening. Um, Matt mentioned a lot of nice things. Thank you, Matt, for all those nice things. I would be lying if I said I love doing this and I can't wait to do it again, but It's been cool to see, just to be a part of what God has done this weekend, and um, I'm excited to be a part of what God wants to do tonight. So tonight we are going to end the series Peacemakers, and so we've been talking the last few weeks on what it means to be a peacemaker, that being a peacekeeper is not enough, and that the opposite of a peacekeeper is a pot stirrer, somebody who pokes and prods and instigates and all that. So tonight I want us to kind of talk, kind of nuts and bolts on what does it practically look like to be a peacemaker as well as share some of my personal story with you. Um, But first, I feel like we need to kind of come to an agreement that in order for us to be a peacemaker, we have to perpetuate peace. But in order to perpetuate peace, we actually have to have peace. So I think that's on the screen. I'm saying again, in order to be a peacemaker, we have to perpetuate peace. But in order to perpetuate peace, we have to have peace. But you cannot give something you don't have. So tonight we're going to talk about what does it look like to have peace And I believe that we have to have, in order to completely have peace, we have to have peace in three areas. Peace with God, peace with others, and peace with self. And Jasmine talked last week about peace with self and how a lot of times it's the first one that we go after. 
Like either we think it's one that we can get the easiest or if we get it, we'll be the happiest or that it's going to bring the most fulfillment. But I don't think we can have peace with self if we don't have peace with others and peace with God. And peace with others is kind of tricky because it requires other people. And people, as you know, today's Monday. You probably dealt with people that have a case of the Mondays. People sometimes suck. And it's hard to have peace with others all the time. So, and in Scripture, we kind of get that. It says, do your best to live at peace with everyone. Or, if possible, live in peace with everyone. Or, from your part, live in peace with everyone. So we can only control like half-ish of the equation of living at peace with others. But peace with God, I think, is the easiest for us to kind of wrap our minds around. Luckily, we have scripture to go to for that. So in order for us to be a peacemaker, we have to perpetuate peace. In order for us to perpetuate peace, we have to have peace. So let's jump into peace with God. Peace with God required much from God and Jesus, but not much on our part. Believing in Jesus and what he did for us allows peace with God. Putting our faith and trust in him brings peace with God. And I know that sounds oversimplified, but that's the picture that scripture paints. The natural man lacks peace with God. And the world, like Jasmine talked last week, the world lacks peace with God. And we, before we put our faith and trust in Jesus, we lack peace with God. We all come into the world fighting against God because we are part of the rebellion that started with Adam and Eve. Romans 5.10 says, We are enemies with God. We fought against God, and everything we did went against his principles. But when we receive Jesus, we cease being enemies of God. We make a truce with him. We come over to his side, and the hostility is ended. Jesus wrote the treaty with the blood of his cross. That treaty, that bond, that covenant of peace declares the objective fact that we are now at peace with him. And that's what Paul means in Ephesians 6.15 when he calls the good news of salvation the preparation of the gospel of peace. And the gospel is that which made a man who was once unholy and not allowed to be a part of God, now somebody who can, have, can be right with God. And this peace that we're talking about, peace with God, is objective. It doesn't have anything to do with circumstances or feelings, but is an objective fact. Romans 5.1 says, Therefore, having been justified by faith, we have peace with God. We who trust Jesus are redeemed and declared righteous by faith. Our sins are forgiven, the rebellion ceases, the war is over, and we have peace with God. Colossians 1, 20-22 says that Christ made peace through the blood of his cross. And although you were formerly alienated and hostile in mind, engaged in evil deeds, yet he is now reconciled you in his fleshly body through death in order to present you before him holy and blameless beyond reproach. So at this point, we're thinking then anybody can have peace with God, right? It sounds like just anybody, but not really. Peace with God requires reconciliation that Jesus did on our part. So an unholy person, a sinful, evil person cannot have peace with God. But what Jesus did for us on the cross Imputing his righteousness on our behalf is what allows us to have peace with God. And I think this is the kind of peace that we really want. You know, we misdirect it and chase other forms of peace. But peace with God is what gives us the peace that covers our past and the hurt from sin. And peace with God is what allows us to kind of navigate current. And peace with God is what kind of covers our future 
the fears about tomorrow and the uncertainty that tomorrow brings. But real quick, we need to clear something up. And we'll talk about this more, but kind of a, a hint at it. We need to clear up the misconception that, you, that makes you feel like you can't have peace with God if um, you have a misproper understanding on sin or temptation. Right, so if you have peace with God, Scripture is clear. Therefore, having been justified by faith, we have peace with God. But that doesn't mean we have peace with the world, or especially peace with Satan. So you can have peace with God, but still be tempted, still have trials, still have struggles, still have bad days, still have bad things happen. And I think we're often tempted when those things happen to think maybe something's wrong, like I don't have peace with God anymore. So we just need to be careful not to let those external circumstances threaten the reality that we do have peace with God if we've put our faith and trust in him. Where there is no Jesus, there is no peace. So part one of uh, what we're going to call this peace with God, peace with others, peace with self, we're calling it the peace trifecta. Part one is peace with God. Let's talk about part two. It's peace with others. So we're not meant to do life apart. We talk here in Vintage like we're meant to do life in circles, not in rows. We're meant to be in community, which sometimes is hard because that involves people, and people sometimes aren't awesome. But we're meant to be with people. And so if that's the case, conflict is going to happen, and we need to learn how to deal with that. When conflict does happen, there are multiple ways we can respond, but real quick I want to draw a diagram to kind of help explain how we can respond. So this is a mountain. It looks like an awesome mountain. Put snow, it's a mountain peak, and here at the very tippy, tippy top, we're going to put a peacemaker. So this is the goal, is to be a peacemaker. We've been talking about how biblically, as Christians, we're called to be peacemakers. Down this steep, slippery slope, we're going to put a PK, that's for peacekeeper. We've been talking about how this is obviously not the goal. Um, As a peacekeeper, maybe you sweep things under the rug. Um, You pretend like it's not that big of a deal. You keep allowing things to happen. Uh, You run or you hide out of fear. Those are the responses of a peacekeeper. And on this side is a pot stirrer. So a pot stirrer, you're an instigator. Um, You like to poke and prod or um, you're just angry. You're quick to speak and slow to listen. The ideal, obviously, is to be a peacemaker, but up here it's hard to stay. It's a very uh, thin line, if you want to think of it that way. It's a very difficult place to stay, but if, if in the midst of conflict we sway too far to you know, one side or the other, then you end up tumbling down these steep, slippery slopes, and before you know it, you've landed somewhere that you don't want to be. So the goal is, again, to stay at the very top as a peacemaker. As I was preparing for kind of this section of peace with others, I did, I think, what everybody maybe would do. I did a Google search and on just conflict resolution. And I, one of the first articles that came up was really interesting because it was from a major publication, but it didn't really offer much insight in this. But I want to share it with you. It's five ways to stop the office lunch thief. So if you take your food to work and you put it in the fridge and people are taking it, here's what they say is five ways to stop that. Number one, they say, is to camouflage your food. And they they mention specifically these bags you can get from Amazon that are like Ziploc bags, but they have mold printed on it, like images of mold. So you can put your food in there and put it in the fridge, and people think, oh, that's moldy. I don't want that. So you can do that. If that doesn't work, you can label your food. They say to put your name, and if your name doesn't work, then start experimenting with names, like put your boss's name or another coworker's name that everybody likes, and maybe they won't take your food if they think it's somebody else's food. This next step, to me, is the most extreme, I think, 
but they say to adulterate your food. So, like, I guess, I don't know what they mean by this, but I'm thinking, go and take soil from, like, the, the office plant and put some potting soil in there or, like, squirt some staples in there or some paper clips or something. Uh, if that doesn't work, step four is take foods others won't like. And the example they give is foods such as haggis, a traditional Scottish dish that consists of the heart, liver, and lungs of a sheep or calf minced with suet, onions, oatmeal, and seasonings, and boiled in the stomach of the animal, pickled eggs, or a beef tongue that might deter the office lunch thief. So yeah, the good news is, it's so disgusting, nobody wants to steal it, but now you have to eat it. (laughs) Finally, if none of those steps work, they say to avoid the office lunch thief from stealing your food from the fridge, just don't put your food in the fridge. So it's kind of funny, but it's interesting, like none of these steps in void actually addressing the conflict. They're all, and I don't know if the person who wrote this meant it that way, but they're all the response of a peacekeeper. Like, just avoid and try to sweep it under the rug. Don't fix it. Biblically, I don't think, as Christians, that we can do that if we're called to be a peacemaker. So if we're going to be a peacemaker and live with people like we're supposed to, then we need to talk about how do we have, like, a biblical response to conflict. So let's talk through that real quick. In peace with others, how do we navigate conflict? Step, the first thing is going to be four Gs, is glorify God. The absolute goal has to be to glorify God. It can't be that I win or I get my way or, you know, I'm going to make myself feel good by putting that person down or I'm going to get my agenda, whatever. It has to be glorify God. And in scripture, it says in everything you do, glorify God in our eating, our working, our worshiping, our cooking, our playing. And I'm adding even in our arguing or our conflict resolution, we should strive to glorify God. And this is like an area that's not exception, glorify God. Step two is get the log out of your eye. Matthew 7, 1 through 5, and I'm going to add some emphasis here, but it says, Do not judge and criticize and condemn so that you will not be judged. For just as you hypocritically judge others when you are sinful and unrepentant, so you will be judged. In accordance with your standard of measure, judgment will be passed to you. Why do you look at the insignificant speck that is in your brother's eye But do not notice and acknowledge the egregious log that is in your own eye. Or how can you say to your brother, let me get the speck out of your eye when there's a log in your own eye? You hypocrite or you pretender. First, get the log out of your own eye, and then you will see clearly to take the speck out of your brother's eye. So I think this passage is saying, like, it doesn't mean that we ignore or that we pretend like things aren't happening or that we can't judge. Like, I think it's good for us to expect the best out of people, especially Christians. But what this is saying is there has to be kind of a filter for when we respond and how we respond. And Jesus in this passage is saying, first, you need to get the log out of your own eye. Like, look, at, examine yourself first. And maybe that means you have to have some self-awareness that's uncomfortable and say, I was wrong or I had a bad desire or a bad attitude or bad perspectives. And for me, a lot of times, the way I think is kind of weird. But like if I'm arguing with my wife... I'll think, well, she's like 70% wrong, which makes me 30% wrong. So really, she's just the wrong one. I'm not. So that means she's the one that needs to own up to everything and come to me and come to some sort of resolution, right? But that's not what Jesus is saying. He's saying in this, you have a part that you need to own up to, you need to fess up to. And not only in uh, kind of 
helping resolve the conflict with the other person, but like between you and God, there's something that you did in that that you need to get the log out of your own eye. Third is gently guide with grace. So the love and uh, the actions that we see Jesus demonstrate towards people when maybe he's, when they're in the wrong, we see him doing this, gently guiding people with grace. The passage we, we just saw a minute ago, again, it doesn't say that we don't take steps towards correction, but that we do it gently. We do it from the right uh, perspective in the right place in our heart. I think if, you, if we believe or you believe that the Bible is our authority and we're, we're striving to be peacemakers, then we can't uh, shirk the responsibility of gently guiding and gently correcting. A lot of times I will say, you know, it's not my job, it's God's job to correct. Or it's not my job to call somebody out or point something out, it's God's job. But I would say, yes, it is obviously the job of the Holy Spirit to convict. But a lot of times God uses other people, especially in my life. God will use people to kind of help me see how I um, can be living better for him. Galatians 6, 1, Paul tells us to restore a brother who is caught in sin. And the Greek word translated here as caught means to be overtaken or surprised. So especially when we're talking about, you know, gently correcting, it's important to know here they're talking about somebody who's caught and ensnared. And imagine you're, I don't know, like a fisherman. I actually always do this. I just thought of this. When I fish, my bait always and hook always gets caught. I lose everything in the trees, like anything fancy and nice I lose. It's obviously not intentional, but here is kind of that same image of the person who doesn't realize and all of a sudden they're caught and they've made a mistake. He says, instead of, being, instead of ignoring and throwing them out, we're instructed to restore him gently. And the word translated as restore means to mend, repair, equip, or prepare. To restore to usefulness to God's kingdom. So Jesus is saying, yes, you step in. It's got to be from the right place. It's after you've kind of taken care of yourself. And then we gently restore so that that person can continue to be useful in God's kingdom. Lastly is go live in peace. So you move on from the conflict as if it never happened. You don't have a list. Um, you don't still feel guilty or make the other person feel guilty. And that's how Jesus did it for us. You know, Scripture says that because of what God did for us on the cross, our sin is as far from him as the east is from the west. And so that's the same way uh, the list of wrongs other people have imposed on us should be. So unfortunately, conflict is a reality. And we have to be in relationship relationships with others. So um, peace with others, a lot of it I feel like is us just having a biblical perspective on how we respond to conflict. Lastly uh, is peace with self. So we talked about peace with God, peace with others, and part three, again, you have to have all three. We can't have just one or two, but is peace with, is peace with self. And so Jasmine talked a lot about this last week. And awesome, she did an awesome job at explaining that what we do is we buy oils or uh, like we buy guns or a security system or we do yoga or meditation or all that stuff. And if it doesn't work, when it doesn't work, we don't have peace with self. And this is an area that I still struggle with the most. You know, I can say I have peace with God. Like it's a fact. I know that. When I was a kid, I accepted Jesus in my life, but I was a kid. So I felt when I was 20... Like, I needed to make that decision for myself, not because of my parents or my friends or I went to a Christian school, but I chose Jesus for myself. So I can say, peace with God, check, and peace with others. I have good coworkers, an awesome family. Um, we get along well. I feel like most of the time my life is pretty conflict-free. So I can say, peace with others, check. 
But peace with self, I don't always feel peace. Because about eight, it's 2010, about eight years ago, I started experiencing um, the symptoms and everything that comes along with anxiety. So tight chest, feeling dizzy, feeling lightheaded. I'd be at my desk at work thinking I'm having a heart attack, like hot flashes. Um, it got to the point um, where I couldn't go out to work. It was rare that I could go out to, to lunch with coworkers. I felt like I just couldn't do it. Um, I started going to a doctor and, 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 and immediately started feeling the guilt of, I shouldn't feel this way because I'm a Christian. Like as Christians, you know, we're not supposed to worry. The scripture says, do not worry. But I, I maybe can't control it. I don't, I'm, I'm worrying. And also, uh, at that point, I was on staff at church. And just the guilt of, like, I'm a pastor. And here I am in the same staggered breaths that I'm talking about anxiety with a doctor. I'm also telling them what I do for work. And I just felt the guilt of it. But nothing was getting better. It was getting worse and worse and worse. And every time I would go back, because you have to go every, like, three months, or I was, and you feel like a druggie. They make you pee in a cup, and they count your pills and all that mess. And I would just tell them it's, it's not better. So they would just ratchet up the medicine. And they had me on something at the time that, um, for a long time, was the wrong thing to be taken. I didn't know it. And it's meant to be taken in a short season, not like I was taking it. So here I am taking this, what's meant to be temporary, for a long time, and just taking more and more and more and more of it. So it got to the point where, um, so I was on staff here then. I was leading worship. And I, I couldn't be in that role anymore. So I kind of had to step down from that and remove myself from the platform. I, I had to quit playing guitar. Um, I just felt like a terrible employee, a terrible husband, a terrible father. A lot of times I felt like I couldn't play on the playground with my kids, like in our own backyard. I was just always somewhere else. And every day was pretty miserable. Um, I just wanted to get through the day just to be done with it. Um, and it, I knew it was bad, but... I was doing everything I could be doing, you know, like I was taking the medicine, I was trying to do diet and hydration and plenty of sleep and exercise, I was even like trying to meditate, um, it just seemed to not work, and we had, so we had our, our daughter, our last kid, and maybe two or three days after she was born, I started thinking, I'm going to have to be, in 18 years, she's going to graduate, and I'm going to have to go to her graduation and feel like this, and I was already just dreading, basically everything I dreaded, um, and I just felt like I was pretty much a crappy person. So it kind of started to shift about a year and a half ago. It was a spring day. Um, it was a Saturday. And I was having a really long, um, like, anxiety or panic attack. And it, it just was longer than normal. It was really bad. And I texted Matt, our pastor, who's always been, he's been, he's helped me through this whole season, just helped me navigate and figure it out. So I texted him and said, hey, I'm having this really bad panic attack. I need to ask, can I not come to church tomorrow? which is my job, but can I not be there? I feel like I can't. I just need to stay at home and pray through this and try to figure it out. Up until that point, I had been struggling with it physically and socially and mentally and emotionally and, like, psychologically, obviously, but spiritually I was really struggling with it, thinking, like, I've been praying for God to take this away, and he hasn't. And I pray and pray, take it away. I know you can. I believe the promises you have for me, but he's not taking it away. So I must be doing something wrong then. There's a sin or there's something wrestling through all that stuff, but couldn't get it, like, gone. So I just felt like I need to wrestle through this, wrestle through this. So Matt let me stay home. While you guys were worshiping, I was at my house. Um, we have a pond down in the woods. So I went down there because woods for me are, like, my quiet place. So I went down there, 
built a fire, brewed some coffee, read some scripture, and I thought, this is going to be great. It's going to take all this stuff away, but it didn't. In the middle of the, the prayers, I still felt the lightheadedness, the, the tight chest, the thoughts of my wife, I'm a terrible husband. She had to take the kids to work or to school, or sorry, church, all by herself. I'm probably going to get fired. I can't even go to my job. All those crazy thoughts. So I'm thumbing through my Bible, and a piece of paper falls out. And it's, it's like I had made it as a bookmark, something I wrote on years before. And I wrote the words, if you don't have hope, hope for hope. And immediately I just started bawling because I felt like that's exactly where I was. I was hopeless that I've been doing this for six years now. It's not getting better. Kind of desperate. I don't really want to live this way anymore. But not knowing how to put words to it. So finally, you know, I've been praying God take this away. He hadn't. So now my prayer's shifting to God just give me hope. So went up to the house. My wife came home. Long story short, I still felt bad. She said, man, you look pale, you look clammy, you're green, you're sweaty. I felt bad. So I went to the ER again. I'd been multiple times for the same thing, but they check everything. Everything's good. And I started talking to the doctor, and he basically said, like, you're just on the wrong medication. And so immediately I felt like, oh, a glimpse of hope. Maybe I'm just on the wrong medicine. So he says, you should go find a new doctor. You've been on the wrong stuff. Um, I wouldn't go back. Find a new doctor. So... I'm laying there in the hospital bed, and my wife is texting with somebody here at church, Joe Smith, who's plugged into, um, like, doctor's offices and knows doctors and stuff. She got me an appointment, texted Jasmine, and said, I've got an appointment with a doctor who knows what he's doing. Here's the address. Here's his time. Just tell him to show up. So then I felt, like, more hope, like God's starting to piece this together for me. So I go to the doctor's appointment. It was totally different than all the other times. This nurse prays with me. I don't feel like a druggie. Um, she prays over me, praying that God would deliver me from this. And then I took uh, one of those depression surveys, the test thing, and, like, I failed miserably. The doctor came in and basically echoed the same thing. I think you're on the wrong medicine. And even he prayed for me. And it was, it was really different, just that experience. And even then thinking, even if things don't get so much better, like God's kind of put me in a better place. So I do what they say, taper off, detox, taper on. It was really uncomfortable for that month, but still kind of wrestle with the spiritual side. Like, God, I shouldn't even be dealing with this. I'm a Christian. Like, how can I be a Christian and all that? And nothing really concrete landed me where I'm at now, but finally thinking, like, God, if this is the thorn in my flesh, like what Paul talks about, if this is what I have to deal with forever, I will. Because he, obviously he can take it away if he wants. For whatever reason, he hasn't, and I don't have a choice but, like, I can't lose my faith. I can't give up. I just have to keep every day knowing, like, Jesus is going to be with me in the middle of it if he doesn't take it away from me. So I can say that on the back end of a really long and dark season. Like, I know that I can have peace within. I don't feel it a lot of days. A lot of days I still don't. Even yesterday preaching this message, um, I kind of joked with Matt afterwards. Like, there was a point where I thought, how do I, co in a covert way, get Matt to come up here? Because I felt like I'm going to pass out. Like I've got hot sweat. The room's closing in. That feeling of like I just need to flee. I don't know if you all know what I'm talking about. But I felt that. Um, I still have bad days, but I still have peace within. And I know that because of I have peace with God and peace with others. And I, for the longest time, would say I don't. Because I base it off of, I was basing peace with self off of feelings. And we can't because how... 
it would never, we would never have peace. Like no day is ever so perfect that we're 100% like, yeah, I feel peaceful. So then we have to choose to acknowledge like we still can have peace within. So I just want to kind of land, close with that. Like I know there are people in here today that struggle with some sort of psychological thing and just want to say like that you're okay and to not feel the guilt and the shame because those aren't from God. Guilt and shame are from Satan, not from God. And for you to have freedom um, just to pursue being healthy. And then there are people today that don't struggle with that stuff, but we're all weak in some way and think that we can't have peace because of how we feel, but I don't think that that's true. So I know I can't say that whatever you struggle with, God's going to take that away from you, but I know it has to be God. And kind of your only option is really just to trust him and, and ride it out. And the, Again, that sucks to hear because I'm on the back end, and some of you guys have been in it for a long, long time. But I know that you can have peace within. Would you guys bow your heads and close your eyes with me? So to kind of close this out, we are called to be peacemakers, to perpetuate peace, but we have to have it. And I know there are people who tonight feel like you don't have peace, and the reality is, Maybe you do and just aren't choosing to see it or can't see it or whatever. And so the question is, where do you need peace with? Where do you need peace tonight? Is it peace with God? Maybe tonight uh, there's just some idols that you need to wrestle with removing. Something that you've put above God or put above others that's standing in the way of you having peace with him. Maybe you just do acknowledge his sacrifice for you on the cross. The fact that he took your place and what he did on the cross is enough to give you peace with him. Or maybe it's peace with others. Maybe there's a relationship or something, uh, someone that you need to help gently guide, gently restore. Maybe you know that you're a pot stirrer in conflict, that you're quick to speak and slow to listen. Or maybe tonight... You need peace with self. For whatever reason, you've been hanging on to your head that you can't have peace within. Or maybe you've just been chasing the feeling of peace. And tonight, you need to settle in to the biblical, factual peace that Jesus can give you. Maybe you just need permission to seek help. I'm going to pray, and then the band's going to close us out with a song. But I just encourage you to just ask God, what, what's the next step? What's the next thing that only he can give you to help you realize and find peace? And then we're going to worship. I encourage you to um, just feel free to worship in this room how you want to worship. God, tonight I pray that your Holy Spirit would um, do what only it can do, whether it's convict or encourage. God, I pray that you would help us Whatever area it is that we need peace, God, you're the answer. God, it is possible. God, there's so many instances in Scripture where we see the circumstances are terrible, but we know peace can still happen, that it's not a feeling. God, I pray tonight that if it is your plan to completely redeem and restore and to deliver, God, I pray that you do that. But God, if not, just give us the faith 
to trust in you. God, I pray whatever we need tonight, whatever hole we have, God, that you would fill that hole. God, help us just to see that we can have peace no matter what. It's your son's holy name we pray. Amen. Thanks for listening to the Vintage Church Podcast. To stay connected with what's happening at Vintage, download the Vintage Church app to access sermon notes, events, devotionals, previous podcasts, and discover ways to get connected in community. We hope you join us again soon.